turn to Acts chapter 16. As we read your word, help us to see you more clearly. That our lives may be changed more and more to be like Jesus, the rightful King of all the earth. For one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Christ and he will reign forever. Since that is true, we want him to reign now. So may it be that as you show us your way, Father, we through the power of your Spirit may live as if Jesus were King and see the changes brought about in your world to your praise and glory. Amen. Well, what do we do and how do we do it? Two constants in the Christian's life, guidance and fruitfulness. Some Christians seem to have uh, effortless ability to understand what God wants them to do all the time. Others find it less than straightforward. And uh, we all want to be effective in our witness to Jesus, but what does that entail? Well, the book of Acts gives us a lot of insights and shows us some of God's ways in the past. So I'm reading from Acts 16, verse 6, and the story is of the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. But I'll read from verse 6, and it goes like this. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider, us, consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners for, by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. 
When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and the, everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. So that story tells us how Paul arrived at Philippi and what happened when he got there. Something about guidance and something about being fruitful. How does Paul end up in Philippi? Well, there's a general truth here because of the general truth that Jesus had taught his disciples that their responsibility, our responsibility, is to be a witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's our calling, to be witnesses to Jesus. This is not about me saying, well, let me tell you how I became a Christian. That's not what it means there. Being a witness to Jesus is declaring that the rightful ruler of the earth is Jesus. And as Lawrence has already reminded us, land does not belong to the English. Germany doesn't belong to Germans. France doesn't belong to the French. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. And witnessing to Jesus is declaring that the world rightfully belongs to him. So the disciples are following this track, witnessing to Jesus wherever they are. But also Paul's been given a specific 
truth from Jesus at his conversion that he was to carry Christ's name to the Gentiles. And that was confirmed when the church at Antioch sent them off. So his plans are to go back to the people of Galatia whom he has already visited in his first missionary journey to see how they are. He says in chapter 15 verse 36 to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. But the Spirit of Jesus has a bigger plan than Paul has. Paul has an idea of what he wants to do. He wants to go back, catch up with the folk he's already spoken to and encourage them in the Lord. But the plans of God, as is often the case, are often bigger than our plans. So, how does God guide Paul into those bigger plans? And this is the first thing, by our, his own godly concern for the people God has put on his heart. His whole motivation in going at all is because he cares about people. He wants people not only to encounter God, but to grow in the Lord too. So in a sense, we have no right to ask God to guide us to do anything if we have no concern or care about the people amongst whom God has placed us. It is because God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. The motivation was the world. So if we become followers of Jesus, the great motivator is that we see the world in the same way as God does. Do you see Hurstman Zoo as a place of your calling? You belong here because this is the church to which you belong. And this church would see the village of Hurstman Zoo as a folk under its jurisdiction, if you like. The Anglicans do it more simply. They just divide the whole country up into parishes and every parish belongs to a parish church. So they see everyone living in their parish as belonging to them. But who do you care for? Who's on your heart? Who has God put on your heart? What motivates you? That's the desire. May God give us such a love for the people amongst whom we live that matches his own that we will be looking for every opportunity to serve his purposes. So Paul is going back to do that, motivated by his concern, his love for his people, he's heading in the right direction, but he's not going to go far enough. I can't do this clever PowerPoint stuff. If I could, I'd put a map up now, which shows you about the, as it were, the east, the Galatia area, which we now call as Turkey and so forth. But the Spirit wants to bring Paul to Europe, across that water. So he prevents Paul from doing what Paul wants to do. When Paul starts going to the west, the Spirit says no. In one way or another, the Spirit says no, you're not going there. So he heads to the north. And the Spirit says no, you can't go there either. So he then chooses the northwest passage, as it were. Can't go to the west, can't go to the north, so he keeps heading in that direction. As it were, the Spirit squeezing Paul's itinerary. So he chooses the one place the Spirit is allowing him to go. So the preventative impulse may have been through the word of some prophet. Someone may have been saying, no, Paul, the Spirit says that's not the way. It could have been that way. But we find in verse 10, after a little while after Paul gets a vision, 
after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. We got ready. Suddenly the word changes from a report about Paul to we got ready. And those of us who know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, of course, realise that it's Luke speaking now. He has joined the party. And you'll remember that Luke is a doctor. And Paul, in a couple of places, confesses him to have long-term sickness. So one interesting and entirely feasible explanation for the guidance of the Spirit is that Paul is ill and that Luke has somehow arrived on the scene and Paul encourages him to stay with them because he will benefit from his doctrine, his medical ability. And perhaps it's through Luke ministering to Paul's weaknesses that Paul understands that to be the guidance of the Spirit, which would be an interesting way of looking at it. He could recognise God at work even in his weakness and frailty. And instead of making those a big deal, perhaps Luke is suggesting, well, we can't go there because that would not be good for you. You'd fall into greater sickness. Maybe this would be the better way and guides him into the future. So we mustn't let weakness and frailty frustrate the purposes of God. So there are preventative measures as well. God preventing us from doing what we want to do in order to help us do the right thing. Here's another in verse, chapter 16, verse 9, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they've got just Troas, which is on the coast, as it were. They can't go any further, not without a boat anyway. And at that point, the Spirit inspires Paul to see a vision of a man from Macedonia and say, come over here, we need your help. It doesn't say who this person was, but that part of the world is all Alexandrian. Alexander the Great had left his imprint on that area. Troas was properly Alexandrian Troas, named after Alexander the Great. Philippi, which is the town to which he will go, is named after Alexander's father. Thessalonica, which is also where Paul will go, is named after Alexander's half-sister. And Alexander was a man who wanted to join East and West in one empire, which would be an entirely appropriate thought for Paul, who wants to preach not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, and that the two may become one. But whatever, he has a vision of what the Spirit wants him to do. Have you ever talked to other people in the church and asked them what their vision is for the church? Have they heard any visions, seen any visions from God? You talk to one another about what God may be saying to you, discussing things together, hearing from God. Do you write down what you believe God may be saying to you? Often we think of these sort of things at the beginning of the year, but it happens right through the year. Here's the Spirit using a vision to give Paul impetus to go and do something else. I wonder if you got together at some point and just share together what you believe God is saying to you. Whether you find consistent ideas, visions, thoughts, words coming together. But also the Spirit uses our own consideration. In verse 10 it says, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to, once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul had gone back to the others 
had discussed with them the way in fact he had felt moved to come in one particular direction, shared with them the vision, and then said to them, what do you think? And together they concluded the Spirit was calling them to go over the sea into Europe. So don't keep what God may be saying to you to yourself alone. Share it with others. Ask others together. Maybe it's an opportunity in your prayer and praise tonight, or other such opportunities, just to say, by the way, is there anything anyone wants to bring? Or you think God has been talking, so we all can keep up to date with these sort of things? They're good opportunities. God is speaking to you. And of course, he uses the actions of others. But he gets to Philippi. So that's how, in this instance, God guides Paul to a particular place. But when he gets there, how does it happen? And there are three people converted in Philippi, giving three different ways of the opportunities God gives us. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, make the most of every opportunity. Well, that's precisely what he does here. Three people are converted. And they illustrate, if you like, the kinds of ways in which God is giving us opportunities day by day and week by week. We're only looking at them briefly. Don't fret, don't worry. We're not having a long study of them. But just let me raise them to you. Lydia is the first one. The slave girl is the second. And the jailer is the third. Lydia comes from the highest level of social standing. She's a rich businesswoman. The slave girl comes from the bottom of the social pile. And the Roman jailer, being a, a Roman middle-class guy, would come from around the middle. And it illustrates that the gospel is for the rich, the poor, and everyone in between. No one is excluded. And God wants to reach all kinds of people with the gospel. Lydia's conversion comes about because Paul and Silas deliberately select an opportunity to go and join place where they expect people to be whose hearts are open to the gospel. They look for a particular opportunity. So they go to the riverside where they expect to find a place of prayer. They do find a place of prayer. When they're there, they find that Lydia has a heart open to the Lord and they speak the word of God to her. So here's one of the ways in which God will reach other people through us. Prearranged meetings where we have the opportunity of speaking the word of God in the power of the Spirit to those whose hearts are open. Church services would be those kind of things. Squeeze would be another, where we have organised, arranged opportunities and people come. Alpha courses would be a third, where we proclaim the word of God to people whose hearts may be open to hear and respond. That's how it happens for Lydia. The gospel needs to be explained. The word of God is important. And what we need is the power of God to energise the word of God so we can make the most of those opportunities. And her hospitable invitation to the disciples is a clear indication that she's really been converted. The second one comes in the slave girl. It doesn't actually say here that she is saved. She's certainly delivered from a demon, but it doesn't actually say she's saved, but I'm going to assume that. At least her life is profoundly changed. But here's the point. It's a chance encounter. Paul had not planned to meet her. He had not made arrangements to meet her. It was just one of those times where on the way somewhere, 
They meet this girl, in fact they meet her regularly over a period of days. It drives Paul nuts, actually, what she's saying. So he responds to that. But this is one of those chance encounters that you don't arrange. It just happens because you happen to be in the same place as someone else that God wants his word to be declared to. And it's not so much the word of God that changes her life, but an act of miraculous spirit-inspired truth that happens here. So this is an example of the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. She's saying, these men are telling you how to be saved, which is absolutely true, isn't it? Nothing wrong with that at all, except the spirit by which she's saying it. And Jesus wouldn't have unclean spirits testifying to him, nor will Paul. So in one way or another, the spirit has said to Paul, the spirit by which he speaks is an unclean spirit. So he knows it's wrong, so he uses one of the gifts of the spirit, which are not toys to play with, or badges to show off, but are tools for doing the task. So this chance encounter is a chance encounter where the power of the spirit through the spiritual gifts that he gives one of his people enables someone to be changed completely. So one woman on a prearranged meeting hears the word of God in the power of the spirit and responds to it. A second woman in one of those chance encounters actually sees a manifestation of the power of the spirit in spiritual gifts and her life is transformed. The third one is the jailer. And he's transformed not by Paul so much speaking the word of God, not by so much a powerful manifestation of the Spirit, but by the lifestyle of the folk he's caring for. This man has locked up many prisoners in the past, but very few at midnight, having had a flogging, and remember that a Roman flogging was enough to kill you if they didn't restrain themselves. That was a beating and a half they had had. But at midnight, perhaps they couldn't sleep because of the pain and discomfort. But instead of sitting and groaning and moaning and shouting and bawling and, and blaspheming and all the other ways in which prisoners would have used that sort of time, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. The jailer, whatever he's encountered, has never encountered this before. He's been praying and singing hymns to God. And this is really affecting him. So that when the earthquake happens, earthquakes happen all the time in that area. This may or may not be a direct thing from God, but God is in control of everything. And mostly the bars of those gates, the, those gates were just uh, heavy bars put in slots so that an earthquake could easily dislodge them. But anyway, God is at work here and everything becomes loose and the jailer, under the normal principle if you lose a prisoner, you suffer the same punishment that the prisoner would have suffered, thinks he's for the high jump because it's not only Paul and Silas, it's all the others and assumes they all run away and is prepared to kill himself and Paul and Silas says, no, 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 we're all here. Again, an unexpected outcome. He's not thinking that. He thought that everyone would just be running away. But that's not the case. So when that's the case, he goes and gets a light and says to Paul and Silas, how, brothers, how, my, how 
what must I do to be saved? And then they can explain it to them. But it's their lifestyle that is really winsome. So Luke has illustrated in this little scenario at Philippi, three conversions in three ways to three different kinds of people. And it seems to me God is still using the same way. There are prearranged opportunities for us to speak the word of God to people whose lives are open to the Lord. So as you pray for the Alpha Priest, pray that God will bring along people whose hearts are open to receive the word of God. Pray about the people you could invite to that Alpha Priest or to any other event the church puts on. That God is opening their hearts. That the word of God spoken in the power of the Spirit can change their lives. Look out for chance encounters where you happen to be in the same place as someone else. A queue paying for your money, paying for your groceries in Asda or wherever else you shop. Or waiting in a queue for a bus. Or collecting petrol from a petrol station. Or any other 101 different places you are. Watch out for any opportunity God may be giving you to say, that person there, I want you to be a channel of blessing. Don't just stand there waiting for the queue to move, but you could be asking, Lord, is there anything I could be doing for you here? Is there anyone here who needs me that you be speaking to them? And it may well be that the answer is no. Or it could be yes. And you could be a channel of God's grace to that person. But all the time, never forget it is our lifestyle that is under scrutiny by everyone who knows us. They are watching us all the time. Does what we say match what we do? Does what we do match what we say? And this is what Lawrence has been talking to us this morning. That we are people who firmly believe that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and shelter is one of those inalienable human rights. And we have an obligation to get involved in that kind of stuff. So living the same lifestyle is a consistent one. And that often is what breaks people down as they see a life lived for the glory of God. Remember my brother giving me his testimony when he was converted years before. He, he, he was a nurse in a mental hospital. And he said it was a consistent life of another nurse in the midst of constant disappointment and discouragement that really softened him up to the gospel. He had to say, James, how is it you can be like this when all that happened all around is driving me nuts. And then James could say, it's because I believe Jesus is helping me with the And it was a way by which one of my brothers was softened up for the gospel. Lifestyle. So a heart for what God wants, and God can guide us anywhere. Living the life that God has given us, and God can give us opportunities to see his kingdom come and his will done for us. Let me pray. Father, we own up to being followers of Jesus. We thank you for the way that you guide us through life. And as the week begins, some of which we are aware of and much of we are not, may this week we live lives consistent with what we believe. <coughs> may your Holy Spirit Fill us with love and joy that we may live before you and before others lives consistent with the gospel we proclaim. And will you make us 
sensitive to any opportunities you may place in our way where we can be a channel of blessing to others. For Father, we want to be in the place of your calling, being as fruitful as possible, that you may be glorified. Amen.